the war was over and the Autobots won. Cybertronians that had left the planet to avoid the war are returning to find that only a single city is left and the rest of Cybertron has returned to a wild state. Welcome to Robots in the Skies Retrospective, a special limited series where we look back on the classic Transformers comic from 2012. Joining the Transmissions hosts to share their stories about the creation of the series are writer and now editor-in-chief of IDW Publishing, John Barber, and artist, Andrew Griffith. While this podcast is great to listen to, we'd like to encourage you to watch the video on YouTube as well. John and Andrew shared drafts of scripts and early character models that we were able to show, in addition to the pages from the final comic that we display as well. If you have questions about Robots in the Skies, we'd love to include them on a future show. Please go to transmissionspodcast.com slash feedback and send us a written or voice message. Welcome to a special Transmissions Podcast event where we are taking an in-depth look back at a golden age of Transformers comics, IDW Phase 2. So uh, we have with us the creators of Transformers Robots in Disguise, and they're going to tell us about how the series came to be, and we're going to look back on the series itself and kind of get a behind-the-scenes of, of how this came together and how these beloved uh, stories came to life I, I think this this is one of my favorite series from idw along with this and uh, more than meets the eye together those those companion series they really worked well together and uh robots in disguise dealt with all the messiness on cybertron and it was really i think the first true post-war transformer story which uh which i thought uh, you know this was this was very unique at the time like we hadn't really gotten uh completely uh you know autobots and decepticons at quote-unquote, peace, uh, and how they deal with that. So uh, I'm pleased to welcome the writer of Robots in Disguise, Mr. John Barber. Hi. Glad to be here. And the artist, uh, Mr. Andrew Griffith. Hey, guys. And, uh, of course, I'll, I'll mention the entire team that worked on the book. We had the colorist, Josh Perez, who's an awesome guy. We've had him on transmissions before. And uh, we hope to have him back again, so maybe we'll we'll get him back on on this series as well at some point. Uh, then the lettering for these issues, for the first five issues, was done by Sean Lee, and the uh, editing was done by Carlos Guzman. So uh, that was your team for Transformers: Robots in Disguise. Of course, John Barber was uh, doing all the doing had the overall uh, editing for Transformers at the time uh, when when Phase Two was starting up, and I think we'll we'll get into how that came to be as well, because uh, that wasn't the case at, at the beginning. So uh, you know we'll we'll find out what happened there. And uh, now Mr. Barber is of course the editor in chief for IDW Comics. So uh, <laughs> and he's currently uh, also working on uh, Transformers versus the Terminator, which uh, we are enjoying immensely. And uh, looking forward to the the next few issues of that as that as it comes along. A <laughs> uh, little little thing called a pandemic kind of threw a wrench in the works. We didn't get to see uh, all those issues, but we're we're looking forward to those uh, coming down soon. All right, uh, so John, I'm going to start with you. So can you take us back to uh, 
2011 and what was going on there and where what you were doing in Transformers at the time and just in general. I mean, you were you were working in, in comics in general and then how you came to 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 uh, get involved and run an ongoing for the next Transformers series. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the story must have started in late 2010 because uh, I was looking at the like I didn't remember all this. So I was looking at the pitch, and it's, it was from January of 2011. So I must have uh, we must have started before that, I guess. Um, sheesh. Uh, so uh, yeah. So at, at that point, I was writing like some of the movie tie-in comics. Actually, I was writing all the movie tie-in comics at that point. Um, I'd uh, um, I was living in New York. I was I had been an editor at an editor editor at marvel and i'd left and then i'd um andy schmidt who i knew from those days had asked me to pitch on on um how uh what turned into be uh, sector seven which was one of the, the movie comics and then when the next movie was coming out which i think was the third one yeah dark um the moon is dark dark of the moon that's right in yeah. 2011 yeah okay Okay, so I was, yeah, so I was working. So I, I was working on, um, uh, yeah, there, there were like simultaneous series coming out, um, and one of them, uh, one of them, uh, I got introduced to uh, an artist named Andrew Griffith, uh, who, uh, uh, who, who who drew that one, and uh, it was a uh, like that whole procedure was really pretty fascinating because I'd, I'd written you know like my own comics i got started you know like self-published comics i'd written and even drawn comics before um but i you know like like actually sitting down and writing a four issue limited series you know it was, was still pretty new to me and i was doing th- three of them at the same time which meant i was making the same mistakes three times and learning the same <laughs> lessons three times mm-hmm. um and uh uh, it was really one of the things that, you know, super fascinating about that part of it was like seeing all the different artists kind of coming in and how they'd, how, how everybody would react differently to the story. Like Carlos Magno was doing uh, the one that was set on Earth. Uh, Andrew was drawing the one that was set on Cybertron. They're both prequels. And then there was another one that was the, the movie adaptation. Um, and I, like, I liked working with Andrew, with uh, uh, Carlos a lot. I thought he was he was he was pretty cool. I liked the 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 the, the stuff he did, but his, but like Andrew had this part. There's this one one scene, and I used to talk about it a lot when he talked about this stuff, where like Megatron was saying something like uh, like freedom, and he was saying it like he was disgusted. It was like movie Megatron design, but Andrew made it come through that he was disgusted when he said it in the drawing. You know, I thought I'd have to like add some dialogue to it. And I was like, oh, this guy's really good. Uh, I think we. <laughs> Can't remember like if we'd started talking on the phone by then, or or not, or if that came when we started working on RID. But Andy Schmidt invited me to pitch for a, an ongoing series, and then I think I think pretty early on, like you were involved in it, if I remember it. But sorry, I cut you off there, Andrew. Okay. No, I was gonna say I couldn't remember either if we had been talking on the phone about as we worked on Foundation. I couldn't remember if we were talking yet. But um, oh, yeah. That, so is that like do for the ongoing or? Yeah. So in the ongoing, I remember like Andy, Andy asked me to pitch for an ongoing. The idea was that um, chaos was the story that was going to end the previous ongoing that Mike Costa was writing and James Roberts was coming in to write a couple issues leading up to it and then co-write some of the stuff in chaos. 
Um, and then James is going to write one of the series. The original idea early on was that Mike was going to write another series, and then I was going to write the third series. Uh, uh, James's was, you know, I think basically what turned into more than meets the eye. Um, Mike was going to write an Optimus Prime series, and then I was writing what was going on on Cybertron. Um, so that was pitching for it anyway. So that's that's where it started. Is that the reason and, why Optimus Prime wasn't in the original storyline? Yup. Yup. He was, uh, neither of us had Optimus Prime in the stories. So he, because he was accounted for elsewhere. Uh, and then when, when, when that wound up not happening and I don't, I, like, I don't, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent privy to how that went down. I mean, I, I've, you know, was and re- remained friends with, with, with Mike and, and, and with Andy. So I don't, I don't think it was any, it wasn't like a big falling out or something. I think it just wound up not happening. Uh, so somebody had to have Opt- like we, we, so Optimus Prime had to be somewhere, or else the entire pitch that I had was going to be everybody waiting for Optimus Prime to show up and solve everything. You know, uh, and that was actually a um, that was actually something I learned from listening to Jeff Loeb was him talking about like when they blew up Avengers Mansion and like Avengers disassembled. He was like, you should put in like have the X Men move in there because if 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 nobody's in there. Like, it's just looming. People are waiting for Avengers Mansion to come back. Or, you know, like, like people are wondering what's going on there. But if you have it to be something else, you know, they're not going to wonder about it. Um, so that, yeah, that, that, that's where that's where the Optimus Prime issues wound up getting inserted. Well, that is a question. The death of Optimus Prime one-shot, was that something that came about to solve the question of, like, why he wasn't in the two ongoings? Or, or first, you know, came after you know, we were, i was trying to figure that out so I was, I was going through the pitch and i hadn't looked at it for a long time and it mentioned a story called schism and i you know we, we, we were talking about this earlier and i think that was james james had a uh, uh, like a pitch for what basically became death of optimus prime but i i like I, I think the, I don't remember if it was always a one shot, if it was going to be a, a limited series, or if there's a, you know like, like I like I just don't remember what that was, but it was kind of going to set the the I guess set the table for what was going to happen, and I, I don't think it was um, fully detailed yet because I don't think you know like he didn't know what the other series were going to be, so that must have been going to set up whatever Optimus Prime was going to be doing. I think it was going to be Optimus Prime on Earth. I remember some discussion at the time about schism being like it was something was going to be called schism, but at the time there was the X Men story with Wolverine and Cyclops and schism, <sighs> so you guys didn't use that name. It was like the same time. Mm, that makes I sense. Something about that. Okay, yeah. I believe that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I remember some discussion about that at the time about that's why you guys didn't go with that that name at least. Yeah. Yeah. But like, and I, I think that's why Thundercracker wasn't in this either, uh, you know, because I, like I, I think he was still going to be on Earth and in Mike series because that was a big Mike, uh, Mike character, you know, what, what, what he was setting up with, with Thundercracker. Um, yeah, he was just left there to watch Bad Soap. Right, right. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> that's the time, man. Reality TV. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, because I mean, there were a couple, like, I mean, the Wreckers weren't in there, because even at that time, there was the idea that Nick was going to do another Wreckers thing at some point, you know, so, like, uh, I think I think in the original pitch, I might have suggested it or something, and then the Andy was, yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 You had the wreckers as prowls, the uh, enforcers, along with RC, and, uh, and she was in your original pitch. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it that was in this? Oh, I didn't read the second draft again. I, I, I should have done that. I read the first. <laughs> <laughs> So Andrew, uh, where were you at, at this time? So you, you mentioned you had, you had worked on some of the movie comics. Uh, I also you you were, I think this was, part your early days of getting into comics professionally, right? I mean, you hadn't been working in comics for a long time before this, right? No, I. So the very first thing I did was um, they brought me in to help with, um, was it the first movie or the second movie? The book. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> How bad is that? Um, Defiance? Defiance, yes, yes, yes. To help with Defiance, and then as that book went along on a tight schedule, yeah, I should remember the first book I worked on. Yeah, um, I started doing more and more artwork on that. First, I started in just some inks and stuff, and then I did some fill-in pages and things. Um, that book was on a super tight schedule and needed a lot of art help um, because of the timing and stuff. But um, and then at the same time. Denton Tipton at the time asked me to do covers for the best of UK. So those were like my two first projects. And then things kind of slowed down for a while. And then all of a sudden I got asked, uh, I got asked to help on, um, records inking some of records. Cause I guess Nick needed help with inking and everything deadlines as, as always an issue. Um, I'm trying to remember how it all worked out. But then, you know, I, I, not long after that, um, I guess it was Andy Schmidt brought me in to work on foundation with John. Um, no, I know what it was. I hadn't done anything in a while for IDW and I'd worked on some stuff for Hasbro and I did this little mini comic with that Simon Furman wrote that was supposed to be packed in with some toys and it didn't end up being packed in with the toys, but I showed the pages to Andy and he really liked them. And he was like, yeah, not everybody, you know, can draw movie characters like that and make all the characters are distinct. You can tell who everybody is. And um, he, he, he liked the pages. So um, I think that's what led to me working on foundation. And then that's when I first, you know, met John and everything. We started that working relationship for a long time. Um, and then, so yeah, I was working on foundation that was ending. And funny enough, <laughs> we, we, we just bought a house. We had just moved from California to Pennsylvania and uh, bought a house. The very first weekend I was living in it, I sat down having lunch with my wife and like we were sitting there on a Saturday afternoon in our dining room and I'm like, wait, foundation's ending. So how am I going to pay my mortgage? And, <laughs> and then I, I swear, like not, not, not more than like two minutes later, Andy Schmidt called me on the phone and he was like, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? You know, small talk for a while. And then, and then he's like, Oh, I, I thought I'd let you know we're, we're going to start a second ongoing. I'm like, Oh, that that's, that's great. Thanks for telling me, you know, um, I figured it was going to be like a, a movie book or something when he, when he asked me if I draw it. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, sure. I'd be up for that. Then he said, no, it's, 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 you know, the main G1 story and the main, the main continuity. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So that blew me away. So I remember at the time, I think he was still trying to figure out like, he, I think he asked me like if I'd want to work with James or John, but he assumed I'd want to work with John because we worked well together in foundation. Cause at the time he didn't know who the other artist was going to be. He was still figuring that out. So, um, it just seemed like the natural choice for me to work with John. And, uh, of course I just said yes right away. And that's, that's how I awesome. got working on the book. Cool. You blew it. I remember it. 
I blew nothing. So you had some you had some very uh, cool designs on the you know of the the bots and cons and robots in disguise and at the time there was the uh, the War for Cybertron video games before before there was War for Cybertron Siege there was the War for Cybertron uh, video games on PlayStation and Xbox and uh, and it looked I, it, like when the books came out the designs looked like they were uh, they were very similar to that but then uh, we. We got to see some of your uh, some of your previous sketches and alternate designs for Bumblebee in particular, and it looks like you went through a lot of different uh, different options for Bumblebee. Uh, and so, take us through the process of of how you were redesigning the bots, and and was there did it just come up that Hasbro was like, well, let's promote this the new video game and and let's try and you know harmonize the designs to that, or or how did how did that how did that process uh, go? Well, that was a lot, um, a lot of, a lot, a lot of time spent trying to figure that out. So I, I got a call from that, that call from Andy, that would have been March, 2011. And I remember it was going to be set on Cybertron. So that, you know, got me thinking like, well, what design should I use? I was still, I still was like the new guy. So I'm like, am I going to be able to just create designs and are they going to let me go with that and go wild? Cause I had plenty of lead up time. Cause I think the issues, the scripts weren't going to start coming into like in the summer, so I had a few months to work on designs and everything, but I didn't have an idea of which way they wanted me to go. So I'd ask Andy once in a while, like, what design should I use for this? Can I can I create new designs? And he kept just saying, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. So just, you know, bear with us. Take, you know. So eventually, like, I just started coming up with different designs, trying different things, talking to John through emails and things. And um, I tried a few different approaches, like, we had just come out of the ongoing. We were just finishing up the ongoing that Don was drawing, and the characters were very um, mechanical looking, you know, very heavily detailed. And I was trying to th- see if maybe I should just like continue on with that, but like make Cybertronian designs, trying to use that same kind of style. So I tried some designs with that approach. Um, I was mostly starting with like Bumblebee designs because I figured once I'd nailed down what he was going to look like, that could kind of help set the aesthetic for the other characters. And then, um, I think we were talking about this a little bit before we started here, but like I was looking at like really like futuristic concept cars and they're very like round and bubbly and at least the ones I was seeing at the time. Um, So I was trying to think of what like futuristic looking like Cybertronian vehicles could look like. And um, but I did some of like I think like Prowl and Bumblebee and stuff, but they're looking like very like bubbly and round. And um, John's feedback was very smart on that. He he thought it looked better if they look more technical kind of like especially prowl he wanted them to look really like tough and imposing and um so i went back and like did a few different bumblebee designs trying like cool trying to like base it on like an original like g1 kind of um, proportions and everything but then eventually andy just said um hasbro wants you to go with like the current video game designs and try to follow that aesthetic as much as possible and by that time the scripts were starting to come in so i didn't really have time to do a bunch of designs anyway so i just kind of like wherever I could find a video game concept art design or, you know, whatever I could find online for like what the characters were looking like in the video games, whatever reference I could find, that's pretty much what I used and just hit the ground running. And then for the, for the other characters, like I tried to fit that aesthetic as much as I could for characters that didn't have a video game design. 
Yeah, and then the, and then you also got to you got to go a little hog wild with all the the nails, the unaligned uh, Cybertronians. So you got to you really got to flex your muscles there and and come up with lots of cool and interesting designs. I think there's there's in I think it's either the first or second issues where we get this big spread of just all these different Cybertronians of all shapes and sizes that are that are coming showing up on Cybertron, and it's really cool uh, uh, image there. Yeah, that was basically like the establishing shot for the whole series, you know, like um, introducing this whole new world. And maybe John can talk about it a little bit, but I was just rereading through these issues. And I don't know if it's like super clear that they were meant to, at least my understanding was they were meant to have been Transformers that left Cybertron like millions of years ago before the war um, came up, you know, started. So they had all sorts, they're supposed to have like all sorts of different forms that like you wouldn't even, you'd barely even recognize them as Cybertronians because like they left before like, Cybertron, Cybertronians had evolved to their current, like, human-looking forms. So I was trying to use, like, beast, bestial kind of modes and, like, multiple heads and different numbers of limbs and things like that. But I don't know if maybe John could talk about that, about what the thought was behind the nails. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 no, I'm trying to, I'm looking at the script now, trying to remember that, you know. Um, oh, yeah, because well, they would have shown um, up. We, oh, yeah, we would have had to have hit them first in, 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 um, in Death of Optimus Prime, but Death of Optimus Prime, but, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, my so thinking, at least, at the time of recording the script, was that, uh, um, like as the war went on, like the the the, the like that really helped like, like lock you into really certain designs that were functional in a war. Designs that were functional um, in a war. But if if, if you but know, like the Cybertronians had left the Cybertron yeah, or were in different kinds of different kinds of places, different kinds of different um, places, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have had those same design you know, wouldn't necessities. Same, you know, those wouldn't have been the most. Those wouldn't have been like tanks and guns and and tanks and guns. I don't know cassette decks. Wouldn't be the most useful, uh, you know, versions of, of uh, you know, versions of alt modes or, or how they would how they would build themselves. Because I was, I mean, at this point, I was still pretty new to Transformers, you know, myself, right? Like when we were pulling all this together, when we were together. I mean, I guess I'd like I'd wound up writing a bunch of it, but very quickly, you know, prior to the ongoing. So I, I remember like really thinking so at the time like, like there's really there's something that kind of bothered me about a lot of there's something that kind of bothered a lot of me like comic book science fiction of, like, where they would science fiction where like take the least like like when you're making a film you sort of sometimes have to take the least interesting version of things because you only have so much budget you know like uh, I mean I, was, I think one of the examples I've thought of since I was a kid was the Masters of the Universe movie you know with Dolph Lundgren uh, and it's got these like beautiful designs you know of of, of, of Eternia. Or I think like Mobius did some of the designs, and yeah, like the the stuff is really gorgeous, and it's on there for about five minutes, and then they're in suburban America. Um, (laughs) You know, but it's like I mean, the the movie didn't have a budget to sustain doing a movie didn't have a budget to sustain doing doing a whole movie set in a fantasy world. You know, or or you see that a lot. You know, like that's why you you see these these movies, or that's that's why Vulcans look exactly like humans, but with pointy ears, right? But if you're writing a comic book or something, they could look like anything. You know, and but people still default yeah, to the the, 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 the normal thing you know the, the, like why is there gravity in every spaceship on, in, a, in a movie because it would be insanely expensive to not have gravity you know and and, and, and to deal with everybody's hair floating to deal with and all that kind of stuff 
Um, so I was like, oh, maybe we can make stuff weirder, you know, like we shouldn't default to Cybertron being Earth and being America in 1985. So I remember that being a thing that was really in my head at that point. So that was probably influencing me and like trying to, you know, trying to make the nails weirder. At a certain point, though, there also is we see ourselves reflected in those things we more readily when they look like 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 normal people or you know look something like, like people like normal people so like there's more than like just people. lack of imagination so, that does it, you know, and i, I kind of came to learn that the more i worked on on, on transformers where some of those ideas might have been a little um, yeah, some of those ideas might i don't know if like mis uh, misguided but like the, it wasn't as important you know like there's other stuff that's more important to making the transformers work but it's still saying all that that is a gorgeous spread that andrew drew and it like really does does set the tone for what we have. Like this is really does set the tone for you know, what we have. This is Moss Eisley. This is you know, this is Moss Eisley. You know, border towns <laughs> everywhere. You know, border towns everywhere. Yeah. Well, similarly, yeah. I remember too. Now that I think about it, some of those designs were meant to be like these transformers have been off disguising themselves on other planets. So, like they they would have had alt alt modes that would look like an alien or a or an animal you'd see on a different planet. So that's why some of them look kind of like. Like the one looks kind of like a mixture of like a centipede and a lizard, you know, and like it's supposed to be basically like yeah. instead of like a, a Predacon being a lion, like a robot lion, that's like a robot, whatever thingamajiggy, <laughs> whatever the alien would be called. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd see that much later on in the series with where you, you, you snuck in a Beast Wars character and Rat Trap later on and, you know. Just saying, he was he was an Autobot that was off on another planet where like rats were the dominant species, so that's why he had a he had a rat alternate mode. So uh, you know, yeah, that that reasoning works pretty well. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some threads yeah. you shouldn't pull on too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of animal modes, I remember talking to John when when we were going to start. We can get into this later, but when we were going to start using the Dinobots, and I'm like, should I redesign them? Like, should should they turn into like tanks or something? Because there wouldn't be dinosaurs in Cybertron. I'm thinking about it like really like like what it would like real world like what it would be like. And John's like, dude, come on, they're they're robots that turn into dinosaurs. Why wouldn't they turn into dinosaurs? Because that's like the best thing ever. So just make them dinosaurs. <laughs> I was like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kept Nick's designs basically. Yeah. Cause it made sense. Cause why would they change to slightly different dinosaur robots? But anyway, why mess with something that works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wrong with robots turning into dinosaurs. I think it's been, tr it's been tried in the past with the four with them and stuff. And I think everyone always just eventually comes back to dinosaurs. <laughs> And so let, let's let's uh, let's uh, I mean, we can uh, we're not going to go like with this podcast would, would quickly become five hours long if we went through each issue, uh, you know, page by page. But let's let's talk about the, the first uh, the first basically the first trade paperback of Robots in Disguise. So that's five issues. And uh, each issue is, is is pretty much a self-contained story like they form a, they form a coherent whole. But I like that each issue tells a distinct story and you know at the end and, and it's also told from a from a particular character's point of view so uh we have these five issues uh and uh, just to just to summarize before uh before <laughs> robots in disguise started we have we had the chaos event which was uh, you know this major big thing with the dead universe uh trying to take over cybertron and optimus prime basically plunges the matrix into vector sigma to stop 
the you know the um, was a devoid I think it was from consuming the planet and uh, and this basically reboots the entire planet and so the matrix is drained but Cybertron is restarted and all so there's no more there's no more energy crisis because Energon has been uh, re, re reformed on Cybertron but Cybertron is in a kind of primeval primordial state where it's life has returned but it's all wild and uh, and basically there it's not it's not the civilized Cybertron that you see in the golden age where the cities have all been you know built up it's now basically a wilderness the complete the planet is a complete wilderness with the exception of Iacon where all the Autobots and Decepticons uh, were uh, were gathered and Iacon is just basically a, a smoking rubble pit of uh, you know of wrecked spaceships and uh, uh, and a giant satellite that that crashed in the in the last event so we're we're kind of starting at square one then we have the death of Optimus Prime one shot which sets up the uh, the kind of uh, dual uh, stories of Bumblebee and Rodimus and Rodimus of course goes off with James Roberts into more than meets the eye and off into the sunset and uh, J- John and, and Andrew stay here on the planet with Bumblebee to try and, and uh, and forge a peace with the Decepticons and with all these returning Cybertronians who fled the war a long time ago, but now are coming back in droves and actually outnumber both the Autobots and the Decepticons. So the Autobots are nominally in charge, but that 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 uh, that grip on power is very tenuous because the um, the all the other Cybertronians see both the Autobots and the Decepticons as a as a threat to the peace and. Are not interested in uh, in following their orders either uh, either of, either of those groups' orders. So that's where we start off. the uh, The Autobots have, for the moment, pacified the Decepticons uh, a little bit brutally by having them all fitted with these inhibitor uh, uh, what is it inhibitor deterrence chips, where uh, if they get out of line, you can push a button and blow their heads off. So that's uh, that keeps it. Uh, so they've the Decepticons have basically been pressed into being a uh, uh, kind of a you know a, an underclass slash uh, you know enforcement group, uh, and of course that that causes a lot of tension. So uh, th- this is this is where we're we're thrust in with ro- when Robots in Disguise starts, and and Bumblebee's got his got his work cut out for him. It's uh, <laughs> it's not an easy it's not an easy thing. Um, and then One with the autonomy, yeah, go ahead. Out too, is that- I was just going to point out too that at this point, Bumblebee and the rest of the Autobots on Cybertron saw the Lost Light take off <clears throat> and thought that it blew up as soon as it took that's off. That's right. So, that's right. Yes. So that's something that was part of the status quo. Yes, that's right. So everyone thinks that Rodimus and his and his crew are dead. So they they don't think they're just off having fun and adventures. They think they they were all killed in this initial explosion that happened in More Than Meets the Eye issue one. So. That's that's an important point, yeah. So that that causes more tension because there are also whispers that since Bumblebee and and Rodimus had an argument before they left, maybe Bumblebee had something to do with uh, Rodimus's ship blowing up as it as it left Cybertron. So that's a uh, of course Bumblebee is is very upset that people would think he would murder his friend just because he had an argument, but you know, gotta gotta start building trust somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> So um 
so yeah, we start off with issue one, the autonomy lesson. And uh, John, I wanted to ask you, so, uh, and uh, I, I looked briefly at this, and this is mentioned on the Transformers wiki uh, in its summary. Where did, where did you get that name, the name of the, of, the, of the first issue? Oh, in my youthful brashness. Uh, now, uh, so the, the first issue, or it's actually the second issue of Alan Moore's uh, Swamp Thing, but the first one where he starts his, his own story was called uh, The Anatomy Lesson. And it was uh, uh, you know, the, so the, sort of the everything you knew about Swamp Thing is wrong issue. You know, he's, uh, Swamp Thing isn't a guy that got turned into a plant. It's a plant that thinks he was a guy. And uh, I was, I, 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 you know, I, I, I liked that issue. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was, I was kind of just making a, you know, an oblique reference to that, that uh, here's a, a, a new, you know, here's my, here's my new take on, on, on where these things are. Um, yeah, certainly it wasn't as um, I don't know, like scorched earth destructive as as Alan Moore's, or yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the impression he liked the stuff before then where I, you know, did. Um, so uh, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be uh, harsh or anything, but that was the joke. <laughs> that was the bit, and but it was also it fits in that that now Bumblebee is having to become this autonomous leader of of this of this place and uh you know then it also has the word auto in it so it sounds kind of like autobots or you know yeah exactly oh yeah i i I, there's one other thing i forgot to mention with death of optimus prime where death of optimus prime is not the literal death of optimus prime so optimus prime leaves cybertron but he leaves cybertron basically to give the autobots a chance to work with the with all the non-aligned cybertronians to forge a peace so the, a lot of the Cybertronians blamed him in particular for the war, and they saw him as a symbol of the war. And so he basically cast off his name as Optimus Prime, and he went back to being Orion Pax, and then said he, he basically did a self-imposed exile and left Cybertron uh, in order to guarantee that the Autobots would have a chance to forge a new peace. And that's why Bumblebee is in charge during this book, and why Bumblebee uh, basically has to struggle and uh, and he says in the story that because uh, we have Bumblebee is is the is the point of view character in the first issue, he mentions he basically has to be ten times as good as Optimus Prime just to just to break even because nobody has any confidence in his leadership where everyone had full confidence in Optimus Prime. So uh, you really put him behind the eight ball there, John. <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't give him any breaks. <laughs> we came out okay though. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll discuss. We'll get into that. <laughs> we get there. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, one thing. I, so, just looking, and uh, we you met you shared with us some of your your early pitches and and outlines for the story. And so, the character of Metalhawk, who is basically he becomes the uh, the representative for all the neutrals on Cybertron. Uh, and in the original pitch, uh, his name was Spark. Do you know where that came from? Where that name came from? Because I, I noticed even in your notes, you're thinking like, why is this guy named Spark? Spark is what all the Transformers have in their bodies. So isn't this confusing that that we're naming this character Spark? <laughs> I think he was named. I think there was a character named that in in Schism or in in one of the pitches or some, one of the documents that I saw. I, I, like I, I, I think that's where that came from. So I was just using him as that. As a character, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure 
once we decided not to do that and and we're like well you should make him a regular like a real character or like an ex- a pre-existing character that james came up with metal hawk um because I, I i certainly didn't know who metal hawk was um and i i i, I think that was james's uh james's idea see he shows up in death of optimus prime right Yes, he does. Yep. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. At that time, James and I were talking about stuff all the time, too. So I, I, um, I very much would have just gone to James in, in general with a, uh, who should that be? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember the time, like, trading with some of the characters early on, too. Like, I, I'd, um, I guess in the... This, as I started to kind of narrow in on the characters, I'd, I'd wanted to have um, uh, Ultra Magnus come in because I really I, I liked um, I liked the way Ultra Magnus kind of came in as this outside investigator in the um, in the ongoing that Mike wrote, and I thought he'd be you know he'd be a great character to once something kind of was coming up with with, with Prowl to have somebody that can kind of be a tough guy and an investigator. But James obviously had. You know, very specific and very, you know, very plans to use Ultra Magnus that, that superseded my needing somebody that basically filled that role. Um, so I, I wound up I wound up splitting that into Wheeljack and Ironhide. So like Wheeljack could be the investigative part, and then Ironhide could be the tough guy part. Um, that's kind of yeah. You know, then I think the other one, like the Wrecker, showed up at some point. And it was I think Andy uh, was like, you know, like Nick's probably going to come back and do another Wreckers thing. Nick Roach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> fair enough. I don't want to mess with that. Um, I imagine you guys having like a fantasy draft of <laughs> characters, <laughs> and you and you and James just being on like the phone or a Skype call or something like that, and just saying, okay, well, all right, yeah, I'm taking Starscream, and oh, damn it, I wanted Starscream. <laughs> you know, if you're taking Starscream, I'm taking Ultra Magnus. Ah. Frig, I wanted all the magnets. <laughs> I, I even remember, yeah, back and forth about who, exactly who gets which characters. Right? Yeah, it got, actually kind of was like that. Like, I remember I requested Blue Streak, and uh, I requested Skylinks, and James was like, wasn't using him, so I was like, cool, I can draw him in the background now and then. <laughs> um, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I always yeah. pictured there were some, like, rock, paper, scissor battles if to the side like who who got particular ones i, well, I remember um, maybe, oh, good. no no i was, I was just going to get back to the metal hawk thing real quick that was a that was a thing in the beginning of this as well because nick roach was drawing um the death of optimus prime and he was redesigning some characters that hadn't shown up in a while or whatever so like him and i had both had to redraw some characters like I redrew some character designs in this issue issue because I didn't realize he had already designed like Metal Hawk, and like he redrew Ratbat and that because I had already come up with a design for Ratbat in the series and things like that. So we were kind of working on. I guess I started this a little before more than meets the eye started or something because he was still working on Death of Optimus Prime. So we were kind of going back and forth a lot, sharing designs and things. But um, so so once he had that really unique like long tall Metal Hawk design, I just kind of. I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's different. I'll, I'll run with that. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I think Prowl might have been the only character that we really... I don't, I don't even know if it was that much of a disagreement, but I think that we both really wanted. Um, I think he was, he was definitely a favorite for both of us, and that he winds up playing a you know, fairly substantial role in both series. 
Yeah. Turns out he's he like shockwave was behind him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not exactly, but we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> Prowl really uh, used his head. so but you you did get you did get nearly all the decepticons though it doesn't look like jay at least initially james didn't uh you know his his ship was was full of autobots like he i think the only major decept i i say decepticon but of course in the series he's not he clearly makes it clear he's not a decepticon was cyclonus but yeah. uh, all the other, the rest of the ship was mostly Autobots. So you you got your pick of the Decepticons, at least. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I probably would have been more comfortable having a much smaller cast because I always worry, and I, I think this happens in the series, that there's so many characters, it's easy to make it become about nobody. You know, and I I, I feel like I would have been more comfortable in those early days um, like just coming up with a team of, you know, six or eight transformers. Like, Cause I remember actually, you know, Andrew, you'd mentioned uh, thinking it was going to be a movie tie-in comic at, at one point there was talk about doing an ongoing series set in the movie universe. Um, so when you read some of those movie comics, like some of that stuff was meant to be setting up stuff that I was going to do in this ongoing series I was hoping to do afterwards. And that we, you know, that Andy and I were talking about doing, so I think in the in the series that that Carlos drew, that Carlos Magno drew, um, a bunch of characters like R, like there's RC and Chromia and um, is it Alita that are the three uh, uh, the three motorcycles like they get blown up but that was supposed to be a storyline that what happens to them why they weren't in the next movie. Um, it, I, one of the things I wanted to do was have Starscream join join the team and it was it was really kind of putting together my little x-men team so that was there's part of me that would have been more comfortable doing doing something like that and then winding up with like all the decepticons is like that's a lot of decepticons um and there certainly is a lot of like fudging numbers in this of like how many transformers would have to be in the city at any point like we're not going to think about that exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the x-men because like certain characters in the series always felt like like they had the equivalent of like an X-Men character to me. Like Prowl always felt like Cyclops and like Wheeljack always felt like Beast. And I don't know, like I always had like a certain X-Men character in mind, maybe because like I really grew up with X-Men and like that was always like a huge book for me as an influence. But I always tended to, I don't know why, like when I was drawing them and like body language and stuff, I kind of had like X-Men characters in mind for some reason. But like RC was kind of like Wolverine. Sometimes I draw her in like Wolverine kind of poses and things. Oh, cool. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for this first issue is uh, we see the status quo of, uh, you know, what's going on in Cybertron. The Autobots are in charge. Prowl is uh, the enforcer. So Bumblebee, Bumblebee's the leader, but Prowl basically gets everything done. He's deputized the Decepticons. So they're supposed to keep the peace, but for Decepticons, keeping the peace means uh, basically beat up anybody who steps out of line, and <laughs> that's not really a that's not really a great uh, a great style for uh, you know for uh, you know interacting with civilians. Uh, I mean, current world events would kind of bear that out. <laughs> I'll you know won't say won't say more about that, but uh, yeah. yeah. So um, 
and of course we get we were introduced to horrible and and needle nose who are a, a couple of decepticon thugs at this point who kind of enjoy you know enjoy beating beating up uh, on the the nails uh, the you know the pejorative that uh, that uh, all the unaligned cybertronians get uh what is it uh, non-aligned uh, indigenous life forms is that i think that's the that's the yeah. nail acronym yeah. um that was james it's <laughs> a jamesism i love <laughs> and uh and yeah so so and we get a we get a couple of incidents and uh of course bu- you know bumblebee sees sees tensions mounting uh, but he's still, and, and you know, he's he knows he's got this power to, uh, you know, to activate activate these inhibitor chips, uh, but he knows that's crossing a line. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, he he seems he gets he gets pushed, uh, you know, towards that towards the end of the issue. Of course, Metalhawk doesn't doesn't make things easier by continuing to needle him and, and insinuate all the terrible things that he's <laughs> that he's doing with, that he hasn't really done, which. That the Metal Hawk comes off as a I, I don't know if you he comes off more sinister than than he ended up in in the series. But was was that your intention in in this first issue when we when we get introduced to Metal Hawk? I, I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, you you're seeing the issue through Bumblebee's eyes in general, but the I, like I do think when you go back and you 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 kind of know Metal Hawk wasn't doing this stuff and he wasn't behind this stuff. Like what he's saying isn't actually unreasonable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely comes off like that, you know. But but he's not, you know. Ultimately, he wasn't wrong. I I think. Um, but but uh, uh, yeah yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I, I do want to lead you down the path of thinking everybody's out to get everybody, or everybody's out to get Bumblebee, and and you don't know who it, who it's going to be. Uh, that was definitely a a thing. But most. Uh, you know, I, I do kind of feel like, like the same way with like Pyra Magna later on in like uh, Optimus Prime. Like she was right, you know, <laughs> like she wasn't she wasn't wrong about the stuff she was saying. Um, you know, like like Metalhawk isn't that wrong. These guys destroyed their planet. Like he's got a pretty a pretty valid point of view. They destroyed his planet. You know, like like. Uh, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. short answer yes. Short Part answer, of that yes. might be too is like <laughs> I tended to draw him with like a smirky kind of expression on his face or an unhappy like expression. So he just kind of like always kind of looked like he was like, I don't know, might be up to something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we get to the end of, of issue one and, and this, I think this, these, these uh, in particular uh, with, with both more than meets the eye and robots in disguise, we were getting this as a reader. I remember just getting the sense that you guys were not messing around. Like you guys weren't afraid to kill off characters uh, pretty quickly. And in this issue, you end with kind of a, a bang, literally where, yeah. where bumble bumblebee gets put like horribles going. He's a, he's about to murder a, a civilian uh, and bumblebee warns him. He warns him a couple of times and then he says, okay, I have to do it. And, and horrible is gone. And, and he stays gone for the entire IDW run. He never comes back. He's dead. He's dead, dead. And that, and that has ripple effects too. I mean, uh, this, uh, in this first issue, it's not, you know, it, it, it it gains a much more significance 
several years down the line. But I mean, but but this is it's it's a very interesting way to start this uh, start this series off. If you look at the script, Transformers differentiates from the X Men. <laughs> <laughs> but if very, you look at the script, you can much. see I was very much afraid about walking into my first issue and killing uh, killing a character because literally the first thing that script says is uh, uh, spoiler alert. Skip ahead if you don't want to know the ending. I blow off Horrible's head in this. Uh, and then I point out that originally he was a headmaster. And that suggests a tidy way to bring him back if we'd ever like to. <laughs> I remember that. I... It's funny. Like, True. While we're still in this first Going issue. The escape hatch. <laughs> while, while we're still in this first issue here, there were a couple things I wanted to mention or point out. Like, I remember um, when, we, when he introduced in the script, he introduced Hippo Tank. And I had to come up with a design for him. And I was thinking, like, um, I was thinking about if he could be a tank that would turn into, like, a hippopotamus and not have, like, a bipedal form. But John was like, yeah, no, I really think he should be more like a bipedal, like, tra- normal transformer. And I think that was for the best for his role as it went along. But uh, that was something I definitely remember. I thought Did about I making him. Hmm? Oh, man. Yeah, I remember I, I was like, should he be like a hippopotamus that turns into a tank? Because I was thinking very literally about his name. And um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you guys have time, like, it's funny, like, look at all these nails and think about where I was getting inspiration for these guys and stuff. Um, I remember, like, in the big double page spread, you can kind of see, like, with, 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 with him, like, thinking that, you know, coming up with the name. Oh. No, go ahead. Yeah, you lay there. No, about Hippo Tank. Yeah, go ahead. Well, if you have any thoughts about Hippo Tank, I'm curious to hear. I just remember that when, uh, like when, when, when Mike and, um, uh, God, was it Guido? You like, I got a chance to come up with, uh, um, a character. They come up with an awesome drift racing, uh, samurai ninja, uh, Decepticon turned Autobot. And I'm like, Oh, if I have a chance to make a transformer, it's going to be a hippo. That's a tank. Yeah. That was Shane's character. Yeah. Shane and Guido. Shane, I'm sorry. I meant, yeah, McCarthy, I'm, 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 yeah. Shane McCarthy. Yes, I'm sorry. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> I was going to say, on the double-page spread, like, in the background, you can kind of see, like, Cosmos. So that was actually supposed to be, like, so all these were, you know, all the buildings they were living in, all their structures were ships that they returned in. So my thought with that and why I had, I pointed it out to Josh and he colored it like Cosmos was that's supposed to be, like, the UFO that he his alt mode is based on. So like, that was my thinking ah. for that. Like that was supposed to be where he gets his alt mode from. Like that that model of ship or whatever. But uh, so yeah, there's things like that all throughout. Probably too much time thinking about things like that. But <laughs> yeah, and then of course, it, it, you know, not only do you kill off horrible, but we also get the twist that the Decepticons aren't as pacified as Bumblebee thinks. So you know, not only. And that and that leads us into the second issue because, uh, you know, when we start off issue two, the world and everything in it, we see Skywarp watching uh, Horrible get murdered, and the Decepticons have already deactivated their inhibitor chips, so they could have let Horrible <laughs> live, but that, of course, would ruin their deception. So <laughs> they 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 let them they let them go, which uh, which is uh, adds another layer to it, and of course. I was excited to see, you know, Ratbat back in charge. That's another. I mean, this is this is where we start to get the feeling that John Barber is uh, is very deep into the continuity of the of the IDW books because he's he's pulling back with um, 
uh, all the stuff from Megatron Origin, where yeah, Ratbat was a senator way back in the day, but you know, uh, he's he's fallen on hard times where he's you know he was he was he became a a, a cassette for Soundwave because you know he was uh, actually nobody really liked him because he was a manipulator, but now he's trying to reassert control, and then that, that quickly uh, that that plot thread is quickly yanked away as well. So you're you know you're. Uh, you're not, you're setting them up and knocking them down pretty quickly. <laughs> Speaking of rap bat, like just for a little art info here or a little tidbit, but like I remember coming up with rap bat, it's like, well, what would he be like as a Cybertronian thing? And I never really quite actually like figured out what he would transform into, except for maybe some kind of like Cybertronian electronic device. But like I remember his design was heavily influenced by um, EJ Sue had done this like. I think it was like a CD player or a disc man or something for like the Asian series yeah. that there's a sketch online that floats around yes. that he did. And this, this rap bat was very like heavily influenced by the look of that rap bat. Um, it was just certain things like the ears and things like that. And the way the face looks, but speaking of like the Decepticon machinations, I, I remember like, like you were saying about how with the ID chips, they were more, they weren't as subdued as like you thought they were. So John, like, put in the script, I, if I recall correctly, that you'll see, like, Shockwave and Soundwave and, and, um, and every, like, those kind of characters standing in the background, not really doing anything, happy to just stay in the background, but, like, they, they actually have things that they're working on that end up playing out over the next 13, 15 issues or whatever. So it's kind of like those were very, very intentionally drawn in the background in certain panels. Yeah, I mean, for... Yeah, for uh, and I think even even Soundwave, Soundwave has like a little uh, he has a little wound in his in his faceplate where his like his voice chip is disabled, so he's not even talking for like the first uh, you know few issues of the series, and then Shockwave is just kind of saying, "Whatever, you know, you got you guys do your thing. Uh, we're 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 not we're not really getting yeah. involved." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, the second issue we uh, you know we shift. From Bumblebee, and I think this is uh, the second issue is Starscream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is now this, and this again, this is uh, this is um, a reinvention of Starscream that I think was really uh, inspired. And and you mentioned uh, in your notes how you you took the idea of Starscream, where he's always trying to grab. He's he's power hungry. He's trying to usurp Megatron. He, you know, when he when he gets in charge of the Decepticons, he kind of ruin thing ruins things. But now, in a post war environment, maybe politician is right where Starscream needs to be, and and this is the, this is the genesis of that. Yeah, that was definitely that was something that kind of it, it comes up between drafts one and two of the pitch, and I think that was a, like something that Andy really pushed was like, you know, what if he's really good at this? You know, what what, what if Starscream turns out, you know, he's not the incompetent, you know, blowhard from the cartoon or something. He's actually, he's you know, he, he, he can do the stuff, and he's he is just he's all um, he's all ambition and no ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was like that was sort of how I started thinking about him and um you remember at a certain point when he befriends metal hawk carlos guzman was like is he this the scene where they're like sitting there talking they really get along well and he's like yeah starscream likes him he's like well he's, is he still gonna do what he's gonna do and i'm like yeah he's still gonna <laughs> do it like he he likes metal hawk but he wants to be in charge more than he likes metal hawk <laughs> um yep 
Definition of ruthless. See where (laughs) Bumblebee zaps uh, Starscream with his cane. That that cane opens up. uh, uh, I know Josh isn't here, so we shouldn't say nice things about him. But uh, but the coloring (laughs) in that. I mean, throughout this, like Josh's coloring is extraordinary. But like that panel, especially as that thing's opening up, it just it has that. I mean, you drew it really well, Andrew. But like like just the 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 lens flares. I mean, which a lot of times can look dumb, but they look so dramatic there and so cool. Uh, so so expertly placed. Yeah, like yesterday when or whatever it was that I was reading through these again, and I was looking at that, and I saw that panel, and I, I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I don't know who did these colors, but they should really get on this call because I was really like having a whole new appreciation for his colors on this series. Yeah, I remember just uh, as a reader, I remember. Um, as a, as a reader, I just noticed how the, the colors just kind of made everything kind of seem more alive with like the faction symbols and just various lights and stuff on all the bots just looked so bright and I don't think we'd seen that in Transformers. Yeah. I mean he adds he, 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 he makes it he makes it like Blade Runner, you know, like, I mean the, the atmosphere has a texture to it. You know, all all the stuff that I mean it takes again, I mean like the starting point is real good. You know, like I like I love you know like I love everything Andrew Drew but like Josh Josh really does um, a lot of work on this. So speaking of his cane turning into that electrical prod weapon thing, as I remember it, like, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember it was being, it being Andy's idea to have the cane because Bumblebee was wounded. He, he carried over his, like, old wound or something from, from a previous story, I think. And I remember thinking, well, if he could reconfigure yeah. his body, why wouldn't he have fixed his leg? And then I remember it coming up in a conversation, or maybe you had the idea that like he'd carry the cane because he'd be kind of like Yoda, where like you'd think he was just this hobbling old man, and then all. The, but there's a reason he carries it around, like, <laughs> like, or something. I remember there being a logic we worked out for why he had the cane and and everything. Um, and then maybe we should, maybe we should talk to you about like I remember. So Iacon in general, and some of these pages here when they're on the streets remind me of like. My, at least for me, the influences I had as far as like how the streets would be and like how many people you'd see on the streets. And I remember looking at a lot of like different shows like Deadwood or Rome or different different shows where like there was like a developing town or like a frontier town. And I use that a lot for influences of like, you know, like I said, like how big the crowds would be on the street. Once in a while, you'll see like a street vendor along along a building and things like that. Just I remember things like that being an influence for me visually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this 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 really does I mean despite the fact that that Cybertron is it's mostly wilderness but yeah it does get this feeling like we're in a we're in a western or a, it, and it, it feels it does feel lived in. It feels like you're you really you made an effort to really make the world feel lived in and and built up. So that I really appreciated that. And and it's it's interesting. We've ne- we've never had the situation where you have it where it's not like a a war story. It's it, this is just you know lots of different bots trying to live together, and and that that makes it really interesting and really uh, really different for a Transformer story. Yeah. Well, that also influences too why like you'll see certain nails pop up again, and certain certain ones you'll see once and never see again. But like I was thinking about like if you're in like a town like this you might bump into a certain person like three times 
it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I keep running into you. But then other people you'll see once and never see again. Um, so that was like something I was trying to keep in mind too, as I decide, well, is this going to be a new nail or somebody you saw before? Things like that. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the uh, Starscream Starscream <laughs> makes a turn here. He decides, you know, if if there's going to be a path forward, the Decepticons have to actually gain some political power here and not just not just be the permanent antagonist or permanent underclass. So he's going to step forward and and try and uh, you know, if he if he works with uh the the you know, the the current leaders, maybe he can he can secure a place for himself and the Decepticons, but mainly himself, I think, is his focus. Um, of course, everyone knows Starscream, so Bumblebee doesn't even give him the chance to say anything and and just attacks because they, yeah they they don't think they they never think Starscream is telling the truth and and that's that's his idea is like maybe if I tell the truth. That's the way forward, and so you know he 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 tries on honesty for this whole issue, and uh, and it actually it works. It gets him where he wants to go. So he exposes the Decepticon plot to murder Bumblebee, and he gives uh, he gives Prowl the information he needs to stop it. Uh, which uh, you know, and then and then he feeds false information back to the Decepticons about whether their plan succeeded. So um, of course, this is all Ratbat scheme and. The other sounds like we sound we shockwave are always off to the side. They're nominally helping out, but they're not really the main drivers for this scheme. And it seems like they don't even really care if the scheme succeeds or fails. Yeah. Uh, but but Ratbat sees this as as his way forward to to you know to putting himself and the Decepticons back on top. That doesn't happen, and we get uh, you know we get the return uh, of RC the murder bot to <laughs> to come in <laughs> and take and take Ratbat out. So. Um, and, and this, this was also like, a, we, we had, uh, I think we, we had her like in the first issue, a sh- we had her in a shadowy background. And remember there was a month of speculation. Now who's that bot in the background talking to prowl? Uh, it's someone who has never been to earth because they mispronounce earth, but we don't know who it is. And then here it's revealed that, that RC is now prowl's shadow enforcer. And, uh, I remember uh, she, she, I remember listening to like reviews and podcasts and stuff at that time and people were trying to figure that out. And uh, I remember like, cause I had been careful. I didn't want to like cheat with it when you saw her silhouette. Like I wanted to be sure that when you go back and look at it, yeah, okay, that's RC, but also have the shadows in a way where like, it wasn't obvious that was her. So I, mean, I was glad that people weren't a hundred percent sure who it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, it was, we, we knew RC was around in, uh, in chaos because she was, you know, she was, she was a, a, a not a, I, don't, I wouldn't say like a major player, but she was a bit player in chaos, uh, with her and, and hardhead as a, as kind of a team at the time. And, and so, yeah, after this, uh, we didn't really know what had happened to her. Uh, but yeah, now she shows up as this enforcer, uh, with her, her twin swords, uh, not quite lightsabers, but they, you know, they look a little fiery, uh, <laughs> Where where did you get the design for the or, or did she did she have those previously in previous incarnations or did you did you come up with that Andrew? That, no, Andrew. I'm I'm pretty sure that came from Alex. The issues he drew of like her spotlight and things. I think she had the let's call them laser swords, okay. yeah. <laughs> but she had like the flaming swords. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I believe that that was kind of I don't remember if it was in the script 
that she was using those or if that was something that I drew because Alex had drawn them. Now, I'm pretty sure I, like, I definitely, I don't know. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. I always think of her with the swords, but I guess I, I don't, I guess I don't remember where it were. Yeah. Cause I know it was in the script yeah. that she jumps down that and was, cuts his wing off or whatever, or cuts and then stabs him. So it would have been in the script, I think. Yeah. I guess you would have needed the swords. Yeah. That was my, my two things that I think meant still worked really well in that scene are that like, I think by the time you get to that part in the story, after you, you've seen all the machinations with Prowl, after you've seen Bumblebee, you know, with his cane and then Prowl even stealing the cane idea, but stabbing it into somebody to, to do the same thing. Um, it feels like the story's over. It feels like you're just going to have, uh, uh, have Ratbat go back in there. And then I, I, I like, I, to me, I think it's still surprising when you have this three page sequence of, of, of RC just killing him. I mean, like, I, I feel like you couldn't do that on a 20 page comic and you could do that in a 22 page comic. And to me, like that, that that's exactly the difference between those two, you know? Um, what's that? No, I was just saying, I remember that when I read the script, how surprising I was, how surprising it was to see Ratbat being taken out when he was obviously being set up as the leader. Yeah. And then I also, because I remember all the speculation too, and I know some people guessed RC, you know, some people had it figured out, but I, I, um, I was glad it wasn't a mystery that played out over nine issues. You know, that was a 30 day mystery. You know, 30 days after you, after the mystery gets set up, it's resolved. It's RC. <laughs> and yeah and again ratbat he doesn't come back so this is another this is a real death this is this is the true death <laughs> he he's murdered and yeah that that's the end of ratbat we don't see ratbat come back ever again in the rest of the idw uh continuity so uh so you know i i was i was got to tip my hat anytime you can kill off a character and they really stay dead so you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Josh's colors in that, Josh's colors in that were so great too. Like they really, really brought it alive with the purples and the oranges, and um, it's kind of like a signature Josh color scheme. I find like the purple and the oranges together, but it really works and sets a mood for that scene. Can I point out something too, like art wise here? Like so, the, the scene where um, Prowl and um, Skywarp are fighting inside of the communications tower thing. I remember those pages being very influenced by like things like Jason Bourne movies where the fighting's really like intimate and shot really close. So I was trying to keep those panels like really like trying to keep them like fast and tight and close and like just kind of brutal. And um, the the part where like Prowl jams the sticks in, which which also was a fun little thing that tied back to Bumblebee's stick, you know, and then Prowl sees that and he's like, I got to talk to Wheeljack. Yeah. So he makes weapons of his own like that and he jams them into sky war warp. Yeah. And I remember like, I don't remember, I can't remember right now, but there was some movie where like somebody like stabs somebody and they start pulling themselves in like close and they get really personal. I think, it, Oh, it was in, um, I know what I was thinking of at the time was in the fellowship of the ring where like Aragorn, like, um, stabs the one Urukai and the Urukai starts like pulling him in close. I think I had that kind of like physicality in mind with like prowl, jamming get into Skywarp and then like kind of like keeping him close and then zapping him. Um, so those are kind of some of the kind of things that like I'm thinking about when I'm like choreographing these things. So hopefully it worked. <laughs> I like that sequence a lot. Yeah, that was definitely a, a really cool yeah. scene. And 
and tying it back there to the to yeah to the bumblebee scene at the beginning. Yeah, the next issue. Uh, I don't know if we want to jump ahead to it, but that was this was yeah. like, uh, this was a tough one to write for me. <laughs> like I remember at this point in my life, I had taken the job as being editor in or not editor, uh, being editor of the uh, of the being an editor at at IDW. We'd moved across the country uh, from New York, and we were in a. Um, my wife's parents were renting a beach house in San Clemente. This is back when you could interact with humans. I don't know if you remember those days. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so we, we were at this beach house and I had like a week and I was trying to write the script because if I turned it in before I started my job, I got paid more. And uh, <laughs> so I was trying to get this one in. Um, and like everybody else is just going out to the beach and I'm sitting there at a counter uh, on a, um, uh, yeah, I guess on a laptop or something. Um, must have been my wife's laptop. I don't know what, we, what I was even working on. And um, the script just wasn't coming together. And, you know, I just remember, like, spending a whole day on it. And then, just, you know, like, everybody coming back. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit there and think about it. I'm like, it was garbage. Nothing was good. And I remember, like, sitting there on my phone, like, just writing 1 through 22 and then writing, okay, here's what happens on these pages. And, and then starting over again the next day. And I think I did that a couple times. <clears throat> Yeah. Anyway. Well, it, the the end product came together really well. At least I, I, this was one of <laughs> one of my favorite issues of these these first uh, these first five, where it's Wheeljack. Basically, um, it's a you know it's it's kind of not exactly, but kind of like CSI, where it's like Wheeljack basically uh, you know has to solve this natural disaster problem, and he and uh, and he figures it figures it out, and uh, but also. Uh, he the way he figures it out is by interacting with Starscream. So there's a you know there's a bit of a, a an interesting relationship formed between Wheeljack and Starscream. I mean this is this is Starscream starting to form uh, you know different relationships with the with the with the Autobots where yeah. uh, you know nor you'd think none none of the Autobots would be warmed up to Starscream, but uh, but he slowly uh, you know he slowly starts to to gain some influence and uh, and I think it's and Wheeljack becomes he, he becomes even almost an advocate for Decepticon rights a little bit. So uh, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, of course we we it's we, we too, John, how... Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I think there's a little delay there. Um, John was talking about like back when you could interact with other people. I was looking through the issue as we talked and like. In these first couple of scenes, people are definitely not social distancing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the the other thing is, um, you have the investigation of Ratbat's death and suicide. Okay, <laughs> I don't I don't know how a flying rat with no hands stabs himself in the chest and then pins himself to a wall with an energy sword, but yeah, okay. <laughs> There's a line I've always wanted to use of like, uh, you know, somebody, be, you know, a, you know, a cop or somebody being like, you know, yeah, it was a suicide. He shot himself twice in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that always amazes me about working on these books is, um, and one of the reasons like I thought about doing something like this was like, so this barrel roll is in this book for what, three pages and then dies. And like, 
I still get people requesting like commissions of barrel roll, like a full page kind of full color kind of commission. And they'll be like, well, they're like this character. Like I fell in love with that character in like a few pages and just want to see them happy or want to see what they would be doing now if they didn't die and things like that. So it's just, the fans are amazing how, how invested they are in these characters and even just a few pages. Well, I have a, a series going with different artists. I get them to do scrounge. Who oh yeah. It was like in maybe two pages uh-huh. in the original Marvel run. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah it's amazing. How, how the, for sure. Yeah. Well, also, um, I mean, I don't know if you, if either of you guys uh, play video games, but of course, uh, barrel roll is a becomes has become a meme on the internet from the old Star Fox game uh, on the N sixty four. So one of the, the one of the characters says, "Do a barrel roll when you're when you're playing the game." Oh that's yeah, like, I remember uh, that. And that uh, so, you know, I, in my head, I can see like that the 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 character from Star Fox, uh, Peppy Hare. He's a he's a giant anthropomorphic rabbit. Saying do a barrel roll, and then uh, a picture of of Andrew drawing barrel roll. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually remember that game. I haven't seen that meme, or whatever. But like, I, 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 I remember playing that game on the sixty four, and I remember that line. Yeah, but yeah. So the so the aer- one of the aerial bots, uh, the red shirt aerial bot gets uh, gets killed in one of these natural disasters, and of course that that pisses off the other real aerial bots. I'll say. Uh, so, so, um, yeah, but also, and the, the, going back to what you said about, you know, getting three pages and then becoming uh, iconic, he also forges a little relationship with Dirge. So Dirge sees, sees a bit of, uh, of humanity for lack of a better word in, in an Autobot, which is his sworn enemy. So, but then he's, he's quickly murdered. So that, that, that of course, uh, uh, gives Dirge a, a, a little bit of the feel. So that's, uh, that, that sets him up on an interesting path. Uh, while Wheeljack is trying to solve the the mystery of what these natural disasters are, he does solve the problem. But of course, um, that that's not good enough. It, it, it's at, it's too late for the aerial for barrel roll, and too late for a bunch of other uh, uh, extras that get killed off. So so the air that the aerial bots uh, are you know they're they're done with the with the Autobots, and they're done with the um, with Iacon. So they they actually leave. Or parts unknown, which uh, which comes back much later. Of course, this is before the aerobots had become combiners, uh, and that would that would be a plot point much later on. But uh, um, so what? So uh, John, what was your what was your thinking in, in using the aerobots here and and making them kind of so disillusioned with the Autobots? That's a good question. Um... I, mean, I think I mean, part of it, I mean, they, they do come back not too long later because that is who um, Ironhide and the Dinobots go off to to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it was, you know, I mean, part of it was just mechanical needing to get needing to get the combiners out of there so we could have these sort of naturally occurring combiners um, uh, coming in for the end of the story. Um, it, there's always, I mean, there's something about the, you know, like. When I was a kid, the first, you know, Decepticons fly, Autobots roll, and and then you know the aerial bots, you know, then this is still funny with me that I, um, like I still think of like Dirge and 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 Thrust and the aerial bots as being the new guys, 
because I, you know, like I was so into the Transformers that like those first couple of years that, that, um, you know, you, you, like, like it's all evened out now. There's like maybe 18 months between the beginning of Transformers and them coming out, but or I don't know what it was, but it wasn't long. Um, you know, but that, that there's still a separation from the rest of the Autobots in, in my head. So I, I, I guess that must've been it. I, I can't remember if there was, had been much of a setup of the aerial bots having that sort of attitude already. I mean, there, there definitely could be something whereas you're picking that up from something that, um, that Simon or somebody had written. Cause you, you know, I was looking through it. I mean, there, there, there's some parts in there that's definitely like, you know, some of Wheeljack's guilt was based on the panel where I guess he, he, he kicks dirge, you know, and it, like, that doesn't seem like a Wheeljack thing to do, you know, but like, you know, bring that, bringing that in there, that becomes the thing that, Helps drive his guilt. Maybe there's something like that with the aerial bots, but honestly, I can't remember at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, along that note, like, what what was the inspiration for making Dirge such a, such a central character? I think, I, like, I, I think that was because he was the guy that got stuck on Cybertron when it was overrun by the Insecticons, and I think he was the one that was left over that. I don't even remember if we saw. I, I, I can't remember if we saw that he survived or we just didn't see him die. I don't know if anybody else remembers. But it, yeah, and you mentioned in the book because uh, I guess in in All Hail Megatron, Deluge was was definitely killed on panel, but Dirge, I guess his fate was was unknown. Okay, so yeah, he brought him forward. I, I I don't I don't think we we saw him anywhere else before this, but uh, but yeah, he was. I think he was left over. But he, you know, he was just the perfect one that had been totally. I mean, he'd been totally betrayed by everybody, or like like nobody was on his side. The Decepticons just left him there. You know, like he. Um, I think they just made him a good a good character for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like speaking of what I was talking about earlier, with like certain nails would show up now and then. Like on the third page of this issue, uh, what the first, second, third, fourth, fourth panel, I guess. Dirge is walking by a big like leg from a like a like a what's it called landing gear or whatever from a big spaceship and like in the background you can see this little two-headed green nail and i i'd completely forgotten about this yeah. guy but like as i've been looking through this as we talk like he'll show up now and again like he's in the very background of that big double page spread and i had completely forgotten about that guy but like yeah. so i just saw him again i'm like that, that's a good example of what i was talking about like certain characters i'd reuse now yeah. and then he probably dies in the explosion both heads so <laughs> well this does bring up something andrew um i we asked some of our, our friends if they had some questions and mikey from moonbase 2 asked um kind of what your approach was for designing these varied background characters who were everywhere well like part of it was like part of it was just trying to like come up with something as different as possible from what we're used to seeing so like they'd have very like I don't know, rounded heads. And um, like, I think the, the best example is like, if you look at like that double page spread in the first issue, um, I, I just like a lot of them, a lot of them I just design on the fly. So whatever kind of like, I feel like drawing, like if it's something animalistic or something more, some of them kind of look like these tough, like tank kind of guys, you know, and um I'm going to get back to that real quick because I'm sure there are a few in there that would stand out. Like, I remember this one I drew as like a little, um, 
he kind of has like a Boba Fett face. And it wasn't, I was kind of surprised. I guess I shouldn't be too surprised, but when the colors came back, Josh actually colored him like Boba Fett. And uh, there, there's two guys over to the right. I remember like one was kind of inspired by like an R2-D2 kind of shape, but with tentacles. And then the guy kind of hugging him, walking with him was kind of like, I don't know, I kind of had like Ironhide in mind, but like if he wasn't turning into like a van, but instead some kind of an alien thing. Um, so it was coming from all over the place. There's a couple of guys in that, in that spread too that um, like they kind of look really like thick or they don't have a head. And I remember like old Robotech designs from like this weird like time in the early 80s when DC Comics had a Robotech license, I guess. And like they had some really unusual designs in that book that kind of inspired me. Um, there's a guy over on the left, like that has like all these horns sticking out of his head. He was kind of like kind of inspired by having like a kind of like a Galvatron kind of a helmet, but like not quite. And then. Yeah, it was it was a mix. I remember I don't remember if it was in a script or a discussion we had, but someone was saying like maybe like they'd have a different amount of limbs or have multiple heads or um so I was trying to like come up with different ideas um like that and like just kind of think outside the box. And I remember there's like three triplets that was thinking kind of like they'd be kind of like, you know, like instead of like the three seekers, they'd be another set of three transformers that kind of share the same mold and look. Um and then uh, it's too bad Josh isn't on the call because I know he took inspiration from all over the place for the colors. And a lot of these guys are homages or like inspired by different characters throughout fiction um, that he's into. So it's like, there's one, is he a Boba Fett? Yeah. That was like, he was kind of like a short stumpy Boba Fett kind of character. And um, yeah, it was just having fun. Like the one in the foreground, like the lizardy kind of centipede one that was supposed to be the, the, um, the, the beast mode of it. And I always thought it'd be interesting to see what it would look like in robot mode, but I, n- I never got around to it. Um, so it's like, I don't know. The inspiration came from all over the place. A lot of time it was just like what I was drawing on the fly. And, w- and if, if I felt like I should draw somebody we haven't seen before, it's just kind of like drawing, it's having the freedom to just draw what I felt like. Um, I know like when hippo tanks coming down the, the, um, the ramp, when he first gets off his ship, there's, there's a, a nail in the background there that's really inspired by a probe droid from Star Wars. Um, and then the other character, and Josh colored him like this, I think because I told him, but he was inspired by one of the like the toy-based figures we used, characters we used for, the, um, for some of the movie comics. And I can't remember which one specifically, but he colored him. I think it was, I can't remember, that, what, it was like, uh, I can't remember what character it was, but like, the color scheme and everything was kind of inspired by that character too, but so it really came from all over the place. Yeah. So, uh, so this was a, uh, and this was issue three stick together. I, I don't think I said the title, but that was the issue. Uh, one thing, the, before we just move on to the next issue, I, when you, you, uh, you had the, the, you know, the, the uh, it the problem that Wheeljack had to solve with the you know with the lack of a of another moon uh, and having to basically channel this energy going into the moon. Uh, I wanted to know if at this time did you have had you already worked out with James Roberts about his like because he James Roberts had talked uh, when he revealed in More Than Meets the Eye all this stuff about um, how the planet does these pulse waves and that's how sparks are generated and that was you know coming from Vector Sigma and this. And this, uh, when that was revealed, like many months down the line, 
and you know they they talked about how they had found the second moon and all that stuff it seemed to tie directly back into this issue because it seemed like it was talking about basically the same phenomenon and i just wondered if the, if you had if you had already worked that out or if it just was a happy coincidence that that, that those two things lined up we, we definitely had worked out the missing moon part of it like that was like that like uh, um that was a like that was a whole thing you know that, that we had going i, I don't I, I, honestly i i think the origin of like um uh the moon the energy going to the moon might have just come from the moon getting drawn glowing you know at least in a cover or something mm-hmm. cuz that, that might have been as far as was colored by this point but like you know realizing like oh that doesn't that doesn't exactly make sense you know unless there's something going on I don't think the pulse waves were in my head at that point, but I think I probably ran this past James and, and like, he might've given it, he might've given it like a, yeah, that, that actually totally works with, with this. And, you know, it, 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 um, we definitely weren't doing this stuff without each other knowing about it. I'm pretty sure we weren't. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, a little bit, a little bit of good luck, and then a little, a little bit of us knowing what, what each other were doing. A little energon and a lot of luck. I was almost, I almost <laughs> said that. <laughs> it's funny, um, like if if you don't mind me interjecting a little art stuff now and then, like actually, the, there's a page in this issue that's like probably my favorite page of this whole run. This whole, at least the first five issues, is the one in Wheeljack's lab. Cause like um, I had, I, I had so much fun with that because I wanted it to look like a cluttered. It's just part of his character, you know, to have a cluttered, like crazy lab. So I just went like crazy drawing pretty much like every item that he ever invented or, or like u- utilized in the original G1 series you can find hidden in there. And even like a little toy of his alt mode. Um, and one thing I think turned out to be kind of prophetic was, in the first panel on the top on a screen, you can see the time machine from uh, what was the name of that episode when they go back in time with the aerial bots and everything. I think it was. And uh, so it kind of, it's kind of funny that it's kind of funny that later on, like in the series, John started doing like some of the time travel stuff. But uh, anyway, that was just a page that like, if, yeah, if anybody wants to ever take, if anybody ever wants to take the time and like look around, you can re- you can find all sorts of little Easter eggs in that one page. Yeah, I see Wheeljack's alt mode there. That's cool. <laughs> and is is that the um, that meteorite that they uh, from G one that the that, that yeah, there's little energon sticks, whatever those glowing yellow tube things that in the very yeah. first time you see Wheeljack and Bumblebee in the first episode. Um, there's like that little, like, I forget what, what the device was, but there's that little like thing with the handle on the top and the, and the projector looking thing on the front that was from a certain, uh, episode, but yeah, there's all sorts of things in there, especially if like you see it without like the words over it and everything without the letters over it. But, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on that page. Probably put too much time into it and probably slowed down the book, but (laughs) Well, we appreciate it now. It's it's from it's forever immortalized. So that that time is well spent. <laughs> All right, issue four, divisive, and uh, this this is another. Uh, we're four issues in, and we're already having major major turning points here. So, um, of course, as as readers, uh, 
a major thing happens that we're not really aware of in this issue uh, but you know of course it, it ha- we we realize it way down the line but this is this is prowl's point of view for most of the issue uh and uh, and prowl is uh um you know this is this is how he sees things and and we get the sense that uh you know his his hard edge is uh is is almost a little bit of a of a uh you know of a persona he's he's putting on just because he feels like you know he's he's been hurt so many times before you know you 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 build up this defense mechanism and he's now you know he doesn't trust anyone anymore and and he just uh he only trusts himself <laughs> and uh and and this is uh this is where we we have um you know the Decepticons are are doing other weird things that we're not really sure. You know that now that Ratbat's been taken care of, but now Bombshell's becoming a problem. And of course, uh, anyone who is familiar with G One will know that Bombshell has his particular special talent of Cerebro shells, which are uh, you know known for mind controlling other Transformers, and he uses them to to good effect here throughout this issue. Uh, we get a few more. Um, and again, this you know this is this was where we, we were getting uh, John. You were you were getting the reputation of being the Grim Reaper here because <laughs> uh, you know you yeah. in, in this in this issue in particular. It's you know of course you know the last three issues we've had a couple deaths uh, you know la- but of course you know not ma- like a lot of the character deaths are extras or nails or or you know bit bit players. Yeah. Here you kill you kill some major people or you know okay this time I can't give you credit because this is killing them not <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not they're not dead forever this is the you know these these guys are definitely um they're killed but they're not killed but at the time this looked yeah. uh this looked pretty this looked pretty bad cuz you, you kill bombshell and all the constructicons <laughs> and we're like what is going on <laughs> Yeah I'm truly dead though <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Sunstorm is dead forever. He no, he doesn't come back. <laughs> well, yeah. No, that yeah. This yeah. This, this yeah. This is definitely one where yeah. Until you know what's going on, you, it, yeah. It, it's maybe a little overly brutal. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I am really one of the things I'm, I'm, I, I that I had always you know very like you know laid out in here was that you have. Prowl's uh, narration going on until the moment he's not in control of his body anymore. Um, then the narration <laughs> drops out. I kind of thought so, I, I thought somebody would notice that, or, you know, like, and I don't. I mean, I'm sure somebody did, but like, it wasn't. It didn't become widely known. But the other thing was that um, he, he, he's he's going through I mean, one of the. I think Genesis of this is that short of Soundwave, Prowl was like probably the most inconsistently written character in the IDW universe. Like people had radically different versions of what Prowl was all about. Sometimes like going on at like almost the same time. So I was kind of trying to figure out what he was and and where you know like he's my favorite Transformer. He's the first Transformer I had. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's um, and you know uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I like the idea of him being. I mean, like I don't agree with what he does in all the comics. I don't mean to say it that way, but like. You know, I always, you know, I found him an interesting character to write. But the the thing that's going on in his head is when he's talking about like how Spike would wiki, you know, change the way he thinks of things. 
And then whenever he feels doubt, and then he's, he's aiming his gun at, at Bombshell, and he, he pulls the trigger. But he doesn't actually pull the trigger. Bombshell's the one who pulls the trigger. By the, t- by the time the trigger gets pulled, Bombshell has taken over Prowl's mind. The last thing Prowl thinks is, I think about Spike, Spike with Wiki, and Prowl wouldn't have pulled the trigger. Whenever he has doubt, Prowl would have thought about Spike, Spike with Wiki and what Spike did to the Constructicons and kill what he killed him in cold blood, and Prowl wouldn't have done that. So it has like a double meaning that you're you're reading it, you think that he thinks the opposite of what Spike did, but that isn't what he's trying to say. And hopefully that kind of comes through if you read it, you know, a second time and you know what what, what happens at the end of the story and you know that Prowl is no longer in control of his um, in control of his actions for the last whatever five pages of the issue. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that issue for me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. funny. There, if you don't mind, there are a few things like in the art I wouldn't mind like pointing out. Like, did you guys ever notice Rung ships? Oh, um, everybody, the the model ships <laughs> so, he used to collect. Yeah. So basically, like you know, this is all taking place in like the lower levels, and like that's another thing too is like. Looking back, I was trying to remember, like, well, if the whole planet was reset, why, why does it have this like huge like underground trash area and like, um, like basement kind of lower levels? And and then I think at the time I kind of rationalized it as like the planet got reset and taken back to this like primordial state, but like not necessarily what was underneath. That's kind of I think what I was kind of thinking at the time. But like, if on the big page where like you see, um. I guess Blur getting caught by the Constructicons and Bombshell. You can see on the on in the in amongst the trash. Like I always drew little things, and um, you can see some of Rung's model ships down at their feet there at the bottom of the page. Ah, yeah. Oh yeah, because because he lo- he lost all his ships. So when when getting on the the Lost Light when it launched, he like he wasn't able to. Yeah, take, I think that's where I got that inspiration from. Like it would have eventually made its way down through like the sewer yeah. system or whatever and got down there. But like speaking of <laughs> Josh's colors too, like I, I always kind of want to apologize and for the scenes where they're, they're in the like dense, like techno jungle kind of thing. Cause like I drew too many individual blades of grass and ferns and things. And like, he just handled it superbly. And <laughs> I, I would, I don't know how many hours it must've taken him to like, flat out those sections and those colors. Um, another thing I wanted to point out, did you guys notice the Rock Lords? There's a panel where Blur's speeding through town and like everyone he passes, they're pretty much the Rock Lords from the GoBots. <laughs> and uh, Josh colored them that way even. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of things like that that like, um, I don't know, like I don't know if anyone like I, I believe that was discussed at the time, but like certain things that like, it, I remember too, like um, the, 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 there was a panel that was really challenging when Prowl's pointing at the little miniature bombshell in George's neck. I remember how challenging that was because like that little the, the bombshell device would have been, was so tiny and Prowl's so big that like, I remember that being a bit of a challenge to get the proportions right for that. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to like look back through here and notice things that, um, it really takes me back to like certain challenges and, and, and little fun things that were put in. Speaking of which, there's one thing I wanted to go back to in issue three. So there's a, there's a panel that I remember in the script, Don was like, Wheeljack turns to Scarscream and makes like a smirk while he winks or something like that. And I'm like, 
how would he do that? He doesn't have a face. So like, there's a panel where like Wheel, Wheeljack's Wheeljack winking at um, winking at Starscream, and it, it always kind of reminds me too of like the panel that John talks about with movie Megatron and how I made him look like he was, um, you know, being sinister and what he was saying and stuff. So I don't know that that that's the amazing challenge with Transformers. I think there was one too with like was it Soundwave or somebody. John said, you know, he, he's got a certain expression on his face. I forget what it was. And I'm like, but Soundwave doesn't have, really have a face. So how do I do that? But um, <laughs> so th- th- those are the challenges of working with Transformers. <laughs> I, it, it's amazing how much emotion you guys can convey with just, like, the eyes and, like, the, the small little part of their face. Yeah. Oh, one other thing to point out, too, is, like, I don't know if people yeah. have noticed this, but there's a panel where... Uh, RC RC's jumping down to take on the Constructicons, and it was very, very definitely like my little like Frank Miller moment. The way she's like jumping against negative space and like uh, filling up the space with her laser sword, and uh, yeah, so little little things like that. I don't know, um, or, or, or fun little nods of things. And I remember too, like I think it was in the script where John's like he pulls out these big Rob Liefeld esque like '90s guns. So that's why like. He has these big, ridiculous-looking, like, 90s guns in, in, in the later on the issue. And then she's just, like, tossing them aside as she's blasting other Constructicons and things. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I like uh, RC's badassery is, is very well conveyed here. And, and I, I like how, you know, he's like, Prowl's like, can you take on five Constructicons? And she's like... That's not even a challenge. And he's like, oh, make sure Blur doesn't see you. Like, oh, now it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) And I just noticed something else, too. You guys were talking about how he, quote, unquote, killed the Constructicons off in this issue. And I remember we were very careful. Like, if you look at the explosions, they're like, their heads aren't exploding. They're, like, going off, like, at their neck. So it's not necessarily fatal. It's very, like, consciously drawn that way. Yeah. Yeah, that is something we, I, I think everyone, like, when, when the reveal comes several months later, everyone goes back to this issue. It's like, oh, yeah, they got us. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of recurring background characters, I always enjoyed um, drawing Guzzle in the background of the control center. And um, I remember also, like, the, the command center or whatever, where you always see Bumblebee and Broadside and all those guys. But, like, I remember John referencing, like, Deep Space Nine a lot yeah. when you talk about how that would work, that command center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Broadside's kind of the, yeah, he's always at the helm, basically, uh, you know, monitoring everything. And I thought that was kind of funny because he's, he's a big, strong wrecker, and he's just kind of like working a console monitoring planes coming in, ships coming in. <laughs> he's an airplane and an aircraft carrier. Who would be better at landing airplanes? Like, <laughs> He knows both sides Rolling of it. Play. Yep. And another another wrinkle here, we don't we get we're get a little bit confused at RC's motivations as well, because we think she's just Prowl's enforcer, but here she kind of lets Dirge go for no or for not clear reasons. It's like, well, you know, she she doesn't always do what she's told or doesn't always do what what she's expected to do which I, which i think is an interesting wrinkle to her uh, to her character yeah so yeah yeah it was fun to work with 
and yeah, and you've uh, you've got a, a cool. Uh, I mean, was this was this alt mode design also taken from Alex Milne too, Andrew, or was this was this your uh, this which your, one uh, for RC? No, that was based on some concept art I found online for War for Cybertron. Um, I don't know if it was meant for like the DS game or something. I forget, but I think I sent it to you guys. There was a some concept art I, I used for her. Um, one thing I just noticed too is like when I was reading through this issue. There's a few times where where it says it's for the greater good, and I just can't help but hear that from um, Hot Fuzz. If you guys remember Hot Fuzz, every time I read for the greater good, I just hear it <laughs> a bunch of like I don't know middle aged pensioners in a small town in England saying for the greater good. Anyway, wow, <laughs> anyway, that's my little. That might have been subconscious. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so also this this issue divisive uh so it's kind of intentionally misspelled is it the title of the issue do you remember what what like is this like john or is this you devising something or what what is the what is the um you know what was the background for that i don't know if you remember that uh yeah as a matter of fact i do the uh uh yeah the the background is me spelling it wrong in the script and then um uh at one point like as it was going to go to press like uh, i think catching it and then carlos being like no i thought that if that works let's keep it um (laughs) yeah yeah i'm not the best speller Uh, (laughs) secrets revealed (laughs) What's your position at uh, IDW again? <laughs> <laughs> they have machines that spell now. We don't need to I do that. Something else. <laughs> I, I just noticed something else, too. I remember, like, the, the scene where Bombshell takes over Prowl. Like, there's a reason, like, his hand is very specifically, like, stuck up, kind of aiming towards Prowl's face right as he's about to get shot. And if I remember right, that's when he's taking over him. That's when he's injecting him. If I remember correctly. Uh, And then after that, the dialogue stops like the next, like after one more panel there. All right. We're the the last issue in this, uh, in this first volume is a better tomorrow. And this is Ironhide. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Ironhide is, uh, he's, uh, this is another interesting thing where I, I think, John, you, you took a lot of the, like, I think, uh, at least when I was, when I was reading IDW at the time, Ironhide had gotten kind of a bum deal. I think like he, he had been, he had been put through the ringer. He had been killed then resurrected with, with like all 2 million years of memories gone and, you know all the and he had he had you know he was hanging out on Cybertron. He was doing crazy things on Cybertron before Chaos, and and then he got that uh, that issue, the the last issue of Mike Costa's ongoing, where we had this far future vision where basically everyone else was dead except for Ironhide, and everyone thought, well, why are you you know uh, at least I don't know if everyone thought, but I thought like why are you you're ending you're ending your series by basically hamstringing the next uh the next writer 
with this, you know, endpoint that's in the future that we basically have to always go up, work up to this endpoint. And uh, and I thought that was kind of, uh, uh, you know, as a as a reader, I felt like that was that was uh, unnecessarily restrictive, or you know, but but then um, when we get Einhard in this issue, you take this and you turn it on its head, and you turn it into, you know, I thought it was just going to be kind of ignored by future writers but you turn it on its head and you actually make it a major plot point like no this is a vision that iron eyed had and it actually affects his behavior pretty significantly uh so i really thought that was a that was an interesting turn for what for what you did here with iron hide you know and if i if i remember this right and i'm I, I i don't even know if mike knows this um so by this point i was i'd come in as as editor i think that issue was underway but like I was at, like I was working at IDW and going over the last of chaos when it was coming in, right? Like so, I was, I was seeing the, you know seeing those issues. I think it, it had all been written. I, I didn't have anything to do with any of that, um, but I was there for at least some of the art. Um, and I remember like uh, Hasbro having a problem with that issue, kind of for the reasons that you said, you know, like, like that was, or you know, part of the idea of there being like an ending, but part of the idea of just like, well, is this going to be, is this going to hamstring writers forever? And um, like I think I remembered convincing him to that it was okay because I was like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll reveal maybe it's a vision, maybe it's just something he's made up. So I think that was that was that was actually in the works before that issue came out. Um, and I I, I I don't know I don't remember if I'd ever talked to Mike about that. Um, <laughs> like I might very well have. I just don't remember. You know, because I mean we were still like Mike was writing the Cobra series at this point, so like we were still talking. You know, totally regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 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 yeah, yeah. But no, I, I, I like. I mean, I, I liked those weird things. I think, you know, I mean, the Mirage issue was the weirdest one of any of them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, in terms of what that can be. But like, um, yeah, I, I like the idea of the most down to earth Transformer. You know, like the most salt of the earth kind of like, uh, 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 just, uh, 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 you know, tough guy. You know, uh, I don't know, Mater from the Cars movies kind of guy. Um, <laughs> Being the one who has gone through, like you said, he's, he's died and he's been reborn. He's, 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 you know, and then, like seeing visions and stuff and just kind of like how, how he would like view it. Not as like a, I don't know, like not as some sort of big spiritual thing necessarily, although it sort of is to him, but just like, he'd still keep it kind of down. He'd keep it kind of reasonable. Um, so, yeah, I remember that appealing to me. And I like how that played out all the way through to when he died in Unicron. Spoiler alert! I know, sorry, but um, like even at the end there, when he died, didn't didn't they didn't you reference that that whole thing? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that was you know he was always yeah he was, he was one of my favorite favorite characters. Um, yeah, I remember uh, uh, what's his name um, Skybite coming in. So I think in the in the pitch there was an idea of like following uh maybe it wasn't in the pitch, but at some point there's just an idea of following a, a a nail. And then everybody um or you know, whatever, so a new arrival at least. And then um all the our, all the robots in disguise fans, you know, once they heard a series was called Robots in Disguise, wanting to know if Skybite was gonna be in it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> who's Skybite? And I remember looking it up and I'm like, he's a he's a, a space shark poet. Like that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. 
He's one of those characters yeah. I always felt bad for Josh coloring too, because he's got so many different details on him and different colors. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, easy to color. Or I feel bad for you every time I've written a. I mean, like you're saying all this stuff, but like uh, you were mentioning the scale thing, and and like that was by far not into that. I mean, I remember like uh, I remember writing scenes where Thundercracker's feeding baby carrots to Buster. You know, and, and you're like, how do you draw that? And I'm like, well, okay, I guess they can full size carrots. You know, uh, <laughs> that makes a difference. Yeah, and like all the all the crowd scenes, like all the times. Like, oh, and then there's a thousand transformers, you know, behind you. Um, yeah, yeah. I still remember um, on Dark Cybertron when I got the one page and it said there's billions of ammonites, or whatever, fill the sky. And I was, I, I remember writing Carlos. I'm like, is this a practical joke? Like, like is this Really, the script? <laughs> like, I wasn't sure if they were just messing with me or something, but um, Alex is like, yeah, I got the same thing with the last page of my issue. So, well, I, remember, I remember telling Alex on that one, like, he's like, yeah, I drew a billion of them. I'm like, Alex, if you draw like 100,000 of them, nobody's going to know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the crowd scenes in Robots in Disguise were nothing compared to that. But at a certain um, point, it crosses a threshold where a billion's easier to draw than like twenty-four. You know, like 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 a billion is just little squiggles. You know, twenty-four yeah. is like you actually have to draw twenty-four things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of like where inspiration comes from for some of the nails and like the, the page where um his shift starts to open up, um and sky bike comes out on the first panel. There's a nail in the background that's inspired by um. Oh, what are they called from um the dark crystal um ah, i can't remember the the bird guys um i think Gex. yeah yeah so there's there's a nail in the background that's even kind of inspired by one of them <laughs> you were really ahead of the curve <laughs> <laughs> dude that 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 show that original movie always stuck with me ever since i was a kid it, like i haven't even been able to watch a netflix thing because it it just stuck with me and creeped me out for like most of my life. So something about that the animation just creeps me out. But it always like made a mark on me since I was a kid. But anyway, that's a diversion. <laughs> diversion spelled wrong, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean Skybite here. He's um and yeah, this is another. This is a character taken from the Robots in Disguise two thousand one animated series, which uh yeah that's a. I think Jeremy, that's a that's definitely a a, a soft a soft spot in your heart. So yeah. I'm sure this this issue was was very delightful for you. <laughs> yeah. Never had the skybite. Yeah, and <laughs> and, yeah, it's, and and it's interesting because skybite he's presented initially as just another nail, like another non-aligned Cybertronian coming home, but. With his interaction with Ironhide, you realize no, he's he's actually a former Decepticon, which uh, yeah, you know this that makes sense. And then, of course, Skybite thinks Ironhide is you know is is ready to to re, you know restart old uh, old enmities, but Ironhide's like no, I'm 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 a little bit more Zen these days, so you know I'm I'm you know if you're willing to make a fresh start, just go and 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 do that. And but of course. 
that leads to uh, you know using using Skybite as a little bit of a pawn to root out other Decepticons that they're that they're looking for. Uh, Dirge is still in hiding, but other guys like Needlenose are still out there. So it's it's interesting that they they do all this. But then this leads to uh, you know because Prowl, of course, uh, he wants to crack down on the Decepticons because uh, we still think it's Prowl. We don't we don't know that this is uh, you know this is all part of a, a larger scheme, but. Um, but Ironhide eventually comes to the realization that we're actually really mistreating the Decepticons and we need to get rid of this whole inhibitor deterrence chip thing. Uh, of course, those have already been deactivated unbeknownst to everyone else. But uh, yeah. but he it, he makes the he, he basically pushes the Bumblebee and the Autobots to finally uh, let the Decepticons become, you know, more functioning members of the society, which I, I think is a it's a nice way to end this uh, this little five issue story arc because you you get uh ironhide uh you know ironhide being you know kind of a he's a he's a he's he bleeds red he's an autobot through and through but even he sees the the in this post-war situation the value of making the decepticons full-fledged members of society so i think that's interesting also blur gets disillusioned with the autobots so he no he doesn't want to work with them anymore particularly he's uh upset with prowl not uh um not uh checking up on him after he gets injured uh of course prowl is not prowl at this point so it's uh you know also bumblebee doesn't check up on him either so bumblebee has no excuse but prowl is <laughs> prowl is uh is compromised um but then Blur gets led down this new path where we have the return of McAdams' old oil house. And Andrew, uh, you did something really interesting with this uh, with McAdams here. You know, you you patterned this over over another familiar uh, drinking establishment. Oh, most, most definitely, yeah. Like, like to me, it was, me always, it was always basically just just bar, bar cheers. cheers. Um, um, and part, part of that, part of that I think, came well, came from, came two, from two things. things. One, One was. was like, like Cheers, Cheers is just all my all-time favorite sitcom. Um, I just always loved that show. And then, and then also part of it was like me. Blur was like former former race race not race not race driver, but like a former racer or whatever, former athlete. So to me, he was always like, you know, you know, Sam Sam's character from from Cheers, <laughs> like with the towel. Over, I think <laughs> I even draw him with like a towel over his shoulder at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, and then, and you, then can you can even see like like what was the name of the waitress? Blank, blank Diane, everything tonight. Diane, yeah. Diane. No, 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 no. Um, the, the Carla. Carla. Oh, Carla, it, it Carla. Like, Carla. Like, Carla. You can see the you can see the transformer version of her, her walking around, around carrying drinks. You can see Norman Cliff at the at the end of the bar there. Um, but yeah, it was very much so. The layout and everything was very inspired by. I'll say inspired by. Cheers. <laughs> there's that. And then the second to last page. There's that like kind of insect like guy back from page two. Oh, yeah. one. He's he's, he's yep. crawling around. <laughs> right, like the guy that's kind issues. of like rude. Um, yeah, there's one thing that we should really point out in this issue too that no, we didn't mention yet was um, Casey Collar very kindly stepped in and helped out with a few pages. So that we oh, should we okay. should give him proper credit. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna make some sort of joke about it, but uh, it's also it's actually funny. Is like I don't just flipping through it, like I can I can tell those pages so well so easily you know what i mean um i didn't remember him like i mean i love casey and i love his art but it's like yeah it, 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 it's funny it's like oh yeah those are he was he was doing yeah they they, they don't look they don't look quite the same uh but 
Yeah, he was the first uh, first other artist to come onto our onto the book. He even knew a couple. Ironhide is punching uh, one guy, right? Was that? He did the page where Ironhide's punching. Yeah, one dude. Yeah, when the Decepticons get arrested and they're bringing them out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and that last page and everything. Yeah. All the yeah. Casey went on to do that uh, Ironhide miniseries, or maybe he did it before. He did, but, yeah. Um, that was before. yeah. And they, um, and his Ironhide, you know, design for his head is just that's iconic. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very distinctive. Yeah, this is. Um, what was the other thing I was going to point out? Oh, one thing I like, I thought very interesting, like with John's writing in this is, um, like in in the beginning, like I guess it's right after Skybite shows up and Prowl and Arcee are talking. I think it's kind of interesting that like. RC's a psycho killer, unhit, like unpredictable, like dangerous wild card, and like she's basically like Pinocchio on Prowl's shoulder, like his conscience, you know, and like that. That's how like bad Prowl is, you know, in a way that like she's his conscience. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, I, 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 like I'll do certain things, but I won't do this for you, you know. And, but um, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. And we also get a we get a, when Skybite is uh, is composing his poem, he's uh, he he grabs a you know one of the sweeps the the head of one of the sweeps like a, a last poor Yorick uh, moment there. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, I don't remember who gets uh, credit for. It. I don't remember if that was in the script or if that was just something I did since they were around. I do remember the 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 dead sweeps were around, but I don't remember if that was in the script or not. Oh, well, it, well, whoever uh, Andrew, I'll just give you credit since you drew the art. So <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. That's that's great. <laughs> I do remember um, when 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 Ironhide and Blur are looking outside of like what becomes McAdams, I guess um, you, you do see a um, one or two uh, junkions walking past. <laughs> And I remember at the time thinking, well, you know what? If it turns out that story reason they can't be junkions, they're just nails that happen to look like junkions. And they were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I speaking of like yeah, giving Josh some credit too, like I, I always love the effect of um one of the first pages when the when all the like the nails got the regular characters like Hippotank and those guys are hanging out. And and the the fire and the lighting that Josh gets there, the, the atmosphere is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the coloring. This was this this book was uh you know one where we could really notice how the coloring made a difference on the on in the story and the atmosphere and everything. I think throughout the whole series, Josh Perez just does a great job of of really making these characters come to life with the with the colors here. Oh, and a little, and, uh, yeah. little bit of good news I just noticed. Um, when Prowl and Blur are walking, I mean, I'm sorry, Ironhide and Blur are walking around, I can see that that one double-headed guy I mentioned earlier, he did survive that explosion in issue three, so he's there in the background again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How are you doing fine? Doing fine even today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I, I noticed in the new continuity, they're using the other one double-headed, double-headed, guy, from double-headed guy from the double page and everything, giving him a name and everything in, in the new continuity. So I was like, so oh, I was like, he survived, he survived he continuities. continuities. <laughs> 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 
I'll swindle. I'm just looking right. through these pages, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and and then yeah, then the la the and we end the story arc with Ironhide basically telling all his friends, "Yeah, I know, I know the future, and you're all dead." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so that that's a that's a I think that's a good way to end uh, uh you know this uh, <laughs> this volume here. <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice little. It's it, it the story's resolved, but it's a nice little cliffhanger uh, going forward. So, uh, <laughs> and I even like it's are it's all dead. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's like, a nice callback to the Marvel number five. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and we should also point out that Prowl, um, yet again has his 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 uh, antagonism with with furniture of a, a table or desk variety, <laughs> snapping off the end of the table. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so now we're we're I'm curious what so you guys were, you know, as you were working on this, when you saw the response that fans like what what do you remember of fans uh talking about these issues when they as they were coming out? What what did you think like uh, and did you feel like uh you know you were you were encouraged or did you did did you feel like people were, were excited and and was that exciting for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, oh. <laughs> I remember when the issue when the when issue one came out. I was at like some sort of a Hasbro event in L.A. I think. Um, you know, it was like a like a licensing uh, thing. Um, and I remember like like uh, uh, like checking my phone, you know, to see see what people were saying uh, uh, um, on Twitter or whatever. Um, so yeah, no, it was really encouraging. It was really nice. Like it, you know, because like the, I don't know. I, like I felt like being in the movie comics. It was really nice when people liked what we were doing, um, and there, you know, there were a few places that that did, and it was really cool to hear it. Um, but a lot of, like a lot of a lot of people weren't, you know, a lot of like the Transformers fans were were more dismissive of those comics, you know, or, or uh, you know, I mean. Re, re, not unreasonably, I guess. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I was nervous. I didn't know how things were going to happen or things were going to go. It was, it was, um, you know, generally I thought, it was, I thought it was really cool. It was, I was happy to see how well all the stuff was received. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember the time this issue, issue was wrapping up. up. I was, I was thinking, wow, thinking, wow, we're, we're going to have, have this, like, a bar in here in this in book that's going to be a reoccurring thing. thing. That's, that's something, something more than the ECI is going to have. <laughs> so but anyway no like i remember yeah it was it was it was nice to you know listen to the um podcast and read the reviews and things and like i'm always kind of really sensitive and kind of wincing when i'm checking that stuff out but then it was it's nice when like oh it's positive and you know we're getting on like the buy pile at cbr and everything or whatever comic book resources and like mainstream comic book sites you know not just transformer sites but people are like recommending the book and everything so that was that was really amazing to see. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we we've gone a lot longer than than I originally intended, but it's been really it's been a really great discussion, and I, I think this uh this first story arc was really uh really came together and and really had me excited about the Transformers comics again. So I was you know as I was reading this, I was buying them month to month, and I was 
You know, I was right in there. Uh, I was listening to the underbase and listening to their reviews every yeah. uh, every month, and yeah, it was uh, it was really great. So, um, also, I mean, these are still out. These comics are still out there. I mean, I would say you can pick these if you want them digitally. You can get them directly from IDW Publishing, I think, and on Comicsology. So, either one of those. Um, there's also, uh, you know, periodically there will be humble bu- IDW humble bundles that will come up with a boatload of Transformers comics. So, uh, you know, that might be uh, coming up. Uh, you know, that that happens fairly yearly. Uh, you know, occasionally. I don't. I you know, it, it's. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna promise anything. It's as a, you know, John. Maybe you can. I don't know if you can. Yeah, it's not a anything, but Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean they they've they've been they've been happening uh, almost yearly, and so you can you know you might be able to get all these comics at once. Uh, but yeah, I mean I, I definitely if you have never tra- t- checked out Robots in Disguise and the sister series More Than Meets the Eye, definitely check them out. These they're also part of the IDW Phase Two uh, collections that are available. Uh, you can you know you can get those both uh, in trade paperback and digitally. So um, that's a uh, that's our plug for uh, you know for for. <laughs> going through and doing this episode so um and uh john and andrew thanks so much for uh for joining us on this and we're gonna do some more so we're gonna you know this is this was just the first volume so there's a lot more robots in disguise uh to talk about so we'll you know we'll continue on and and, uh, i gotta thank andrew for really coming up with this this was andrew's idea and he reached out to us to to get this going so andrew this uh thanks for uh, you know reaching out to us and and wanting to do this yeah sure um you know it's just it's it's fun to take a look back and like one of the things that inspired this was i've had you know fans on twitter and different places still still coming around now and then like asking questions about the series so people seem to still have interest in it um and if they want more a little more meat on the bone i just remembered in the original trade paperback there's an interview in the back of it with john and myself and josh and i was just looking through it a little bit and it's stuff I didn't even remember. Like apparently, I, it was my idea to use barrel roll. I don't remember that at all. But John 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 credits me for for making it barrel roll instead of just a generic. Um. But anyway, so yeah, there's more stuff there if you if you have the original trade and are interested in this kind of thing. There's more information like that in the back. Oh. Yeah. Well, I hope we don't. Co- I hope this doesn't contradict all the stuff we just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's okay you you can retcon it later <laughs> you'll find a way to make it make sense yeah. all right well yeah thanks uh thanks andrew griffith thanks john barber for joining us uh check out uh all the transformers comics at idwpublishing.com uh, you can check out all the current transformers comics there's the the new continuity going on there's a uh, great crossovers transformers versus terminator is really cool uh transformers and uh versus uh my little pony that's coming up soon we uh, and the, we've got the transformers 84 series uh that that's by simon Furman and guido guidi and our friend john paul bove that's a that's another series that's going on right now and yeah lots of good stuff Don't forget the back to the uh, Oh yeah, the back to the Transformers Back to the Future crossover coming in October. So yeah, check that out as well. Um and Galaxies, um, don't forget. Oh yeah, Transformers <laughs> Galaxies. Yes. <laughs> There's lots, lots of good Transformers. Fe- stuff. Featuring Andrew. Featuring Andrew. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Ultra Magnus uh 
Ultra Magnus uh, storyline. You, you drew all three parts of that, didn't you, uh, Andrew? Well, I'm currently drawing them. Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm about halfway through that through that story arc right at the moment. Yeah, and that's uh, with writer Brandon Easton. So yeah. also, uh, mm -hmm. uh, really, yep. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, lots of good stuff. And uh, if you if for more uh, you know transmissions, Transformers podcast, you can check us out at transmissionspodcast.com. Uh, these these uh, special series are going up uh, early, exclusively for our donatrons. So if you uh, if you'd like to become one of those, you can go to transmissionspodcast.com slash support, and that's where you can sign up either on Patreon or PayPal to support us. And you'll get all these uh, special series early uh, before everyone else gets them. Uh, and uh, you know you can uh, basically uh, get in on the ground floor. So. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Take care. See ya. Later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transmissions. But just because this episode is over doesn't mean that Transformers fun has to stop. Join us and other Transformers fans on our Discord chat server by visiting transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. If you would like to learn more about how you could support the Transmissions Podcast, just visit transmissionspodcast.com slash support. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again next week.